Welcome to the Style Free Podcast, where a father and son detail and digress on a wide variety of topics within music, art, family, and culture. Your hosts are Professor Stephen J. Tyson Sr. and Jr., also known as Dad and Papa. In today's episode, we discuss the importance of the Ed Sullivan Show for Black musicians and the mystifying story of Corla Pandit. Hey, it's good to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you too, Dad. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed our conversation recently about the uh, fifth dimension and what they represented in terms of unity. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me that uh, even someone like an Ed Sullivan played a very important role in, in the 1940s and 50s and really until the show ended in 71 in bringing t- people together uh, through music, the power of music. And I'm mm-hmm. talking specifically about black artists. And uh, I mean, the, the list of names is Legion, but he was doing this at a time in the 1940s before it became the Ed Sullivan show officially. I think that happened in 1955, but as early as 1949, the show started as the Toast of the Town in 48. But as early as 1949, he had black entertainers on that program. And this was at a time, the early infancy really of television. And to have black performers on the stage, you know, shaking hands and then them addressing or, you know, the audience, uh, him showing a kind of warmth and a connection, you know, with these individuals. That, that set an example, you know, for the rest of the country at, at a time when many other stations weren't doing that. They wouldn't go there. They wouldn't do that sort of thing. And so Ed Sullivan uh, you know, has an important role in terms of this kind of coming together that we were talking about, which I thought was certainly empl- exemplified by uh, groups like the Fifth Dimension. Is there, that, that's really cool to hear because I, I don't, have much knowledge or context of Ed Sullivan outside of knowing the Ed Sullivan show yeah, or knowing the title of it and knowing that certain groups or acts perform. But my connection to a show like that is the tonight show with, you know, Jay Leno, then, you know, Jimmy Mm. Fallon, there's not that much of an understanding of like who Ed Sullivan was or even like, so like even thinking about putting black folks on stage, there's always been the sense that we're either gonna work for white folks or we're gonna entertain white folks. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, I, so I'm, I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are, especially growing up and watching a show like that and then seeing something so empowering like James Brown and Tina Turner and, you know, all these folks on the Ed Sullivan show, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. was there that representation, but not the, you know, action that was actually happening in the studios where Ed Sullivan was recording a show? You know, that's that's a very interesting question. Of course, I had the opportunity uh, with the family to go to the Ed Sullivan show back in the 1960s. We saw the Fifth Dimension perform there, mm-hmm. and uh, we later met them backstage. And the one thing I can tell you is that we were certainly in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you did know? you look around and see any other, you know, chocolatey looking faces at all? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. We, no, we weren't the only ones. I'm not saying that it was overwhelmingly that, you right. know, when there would be a predominant number of uh, Black entertainers. Mm-hmm. I can't speak to that. Sometimes the camera would pan to the audience 
and you would see black faces in the audience in some of the uh, programs, mm. you know, whether he was showing the Supremes or the Temptations or Stevie Wonder or others, you would see uh, black faces in the audience. So mm. I can tell you from personal experience, you know, we, we definitely were there and, and witnessed that. Now, how far back that goes into the 1950s, uh, for example, um, I can't really speak to much less the 1940s when the show started in, in 48. I don't know what the policies were at that time. I just know that on stage itself, and that's a good question, by the way, and it, and it, and it bears uh, further uh, research, but uh, I would say that uh, you know, him standing up there with Nat King Cole, talking with Nat and, and showing real appreciation for, for entertainers, George Kirby, an amazing impressionist, at what made uh, George Kirby so uh, interesting was that he would do impressions of black entertainers, white entertainers, people like uh, Cary Grant and, and others. Mm -hmm. uh, and he would also imitate female uh, entertainers as well, mm -hmm. like Nellie Letcher. Uh, he would do, he did a great uh, Pearl Bailey. <laughs> uh, I remember seeing that on the Ed Sullivan show years later. Uh, but to see him in 1949 and Ed Sullivan really talking him up and what a great entertainer and he couldn't show the whole act at one point. And so, you know, now I want him to present the whole act. And so we brought him back and uh, yeah. fantastic. I mean, it was just um, really, it stood out. That kind of accolades stood out at that time. Mm -hmm. Now there were some situations with white and black entertainers where Ed didn't always see eye to eye or there were some other issues going on. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that the late 1940s, this is the, uh, the McCarthy era. And mm -hmm. so Ed had a background as a newspaper writer. He'd, he was also an all-star athlete, by the way. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. They see this stiff guy and shoulders hunched up. Yeah, that's the parody of him anyway. Yeah. Uh, and that he has no life. Uh, <laughs> and he would get a kick. He was a good sport about people who would uh, imitate him. And George Kirby even imitated him. Uh -huh. But uh, just a moment, Ed Sullivan, you know, was born in Harlem. And then when he was a little older, his family moved to Port Chester in, in um, Westchester County. And he went into originally, he, he could have gone in a number of different directions, but he decided that um, rather than going to college, he wanted to be a newspaper guy. And that's what he did. Hmm. Uh, he, he wrote for, he had a column, a number of uh, news publications. But then again, as I say, in the 1940s, you have the Red Scare, the McCarthy era, communist witch hunts, this sort of thing. And th there was a lot of fear that was instilled. And it was such to the point where certain entertainers wouldn't be allowed on stage or uh, they would be blacklisted. Hmm. And so a lot of people lost their jobs hmm. and various opportunities. Paul Robeson was, was deeply affected by this. Paul Robeson is a conversation in and of himself, but he was a yeah. stalwart, giant, intellectual, incredible talent, Shakespearean, spoke several languages, African, European languages. Uh, I mean, he performed all over the world and he was revered all over the world. But th the point I'm making is, is that here's someone who was the epitome of the, the greatness of America, and he was blacklisted. And so anyone who was thought to have been associated with Paul Robeson, that there was sort of communist sympathizers, this sort of thing, 
And Paul Robeson uh, refused, refused before the House Un-Americans Activity Committee in, in, in his testimony to reveal anything. He said, it's really none of your business. I have a right to, to my own political views, whatever they are. And he didn't say whether he was this or that. He said, the very fact that you are interrogating me and that you are throwing this scare into, into the country is un-American, unconstitutional. And uh, so Harry Belafonte was one of those individuals. He had been uh, reportedly on the Ed Sullivan show uh, as early as 1953, 54. Wow. And it was around 55, I believe that, um, oh no, it was in 54. That's like the that, Deo uh, era when he was singing Deo. <laughs> well, he was, yeah, he was bringing a lot. He was also doing uh, Waterboy. Uh, a song that uh, Paul Robeson had made uh, famous. And, and Paul Robeson was a mentor to Harry Belafonte and many others. And so Paul Robeson said to Harry Belafonte, he recognized Harry's talent. Paul was now on the blacklist. He couldn't travel out of the country. His passport was revoked and all this. And he said to Harry, you know, you have this incredible talent. You have this incredible appeal. Go out there and sing your song. Do you do your thing? And to taking really the inspiration from Paul Robeson, Harry began singing songs in in other languages or or appealing to different ethnicities. You know, singing Hava Nagila and and singing you know a variety of different folk and ethnic songs from different places around the world, including a Jamaican song like you were talking about the Banana Boat song or some yeah, other yeah, yeah. Uh, things. So he was basically creating this, this incredible tapestry of, of ethnicity that really was the fruition of much of what Paul Robeson had already la laid the foundation for doing. But then at a certain point, because Ed Sullivan had connections with certain anti-communists, uh, he, he was really pressured to screen many of the performers that would be on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm -hmm. And so he went to Harry at one point, I think this was in 1954. And he said, look, I understand you're, you're connected with Paul Robeson. And he said, yeah, you know, he, he's a friend of mine. And he wanted to know what, what do you think about communism? Are you, and, and so Harry said, well, look, I'm not a communist, but if I was asked to testify, I would not, I would not reveal anything. I wouldn't say one way or the other, because I, I basically think it's wrong. I mean, that's basically what he said. Ed, you know, considered what he said and uh, then got back to him and, and Harry was on the air. I mean, he was performing. Mm -hmm. uh, so he was never, he was never prevented from, from performing on that show. Now, uh, people like uh, Bo Diddley, again, he, when he came out with Bo Diddley, now, I think his name was Elias Bates. That's, that's what he was born. He was born, I believe in Mississippi. But as a kid, he had the nickname Bo Diddley. And uh, we were talking before, I think in one of the other episodes about the, the Bo Diddley beat and how this is really taking from the handbone, which yeah. is a very popular form. It's, it's almost like spoken word, like proto-rap type of uh, cadence. And, and Very much uh, so. Yeah. And so, so <laughs> here's Bo Diddley, March 1955, coming out with uh, Bo Diddley. This song was, I mean, this was just shooting up the charts. And Bo Diddley, so was not the first black entertainer on the Ed Sullivan show. I know that's sometimes thought to be the case, but that's not true. Um, Harry Belafonte, as I said, was on there 
Nat King Cole was on there in 1949 wow. you know, as a musician. And George Kirby, as I said, 1949 as well. Yeah. Uh, but Bo Diddley was probably, I think, the first rock and roll artist, black or white, on the Ed Sullivan Show. This was before Elvis uh, came on to the Ed oh, Sullivan absolutely. Show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So apparently Ed Sullivan was listening to Bo Diddley in the rehearsal and he was going to do a song called 16 Tons. I think that's a, one of those work songs that, you know, 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. Those are some of those um, socially minded songs uh, of, of back in the uh, unionizing days. But at any rate, Ed Sullivan, you know, liked that song. He said, hey, I want you to do that song. Uh, and he was thinking that was going to be the only, you know, song that was going to be that he was going to perform. But on the on the list that Bo Diddley was looking at in terms of the show, he saw his name, Bo Diddley, and he saw 16 tons. So he assumed that he's supposed to start out singing Bo Diddley and then go to 16 tons. So back to back. <laughs> yeah. But it was really his name <laughs> that was there saying that he was going to be performing 16 tons. So Ed was under the impression that the song he was going to be singing was 16 tons. So when Bo Diddley came out with the Bo Diddley song, yeah, Ed hit the roof, but it was nothing he could do. Right. And then he went, you know, I think he went into the 16 tons things after that. So <laughs> anyway, wild. so he, he was never on that show again, as far as I know. Oh, wow. <laughs> Definitely want to give a shout out to Tidal. They put together an Ed Sullivan show video playlist. Mm. And, you know, one of those videos is Bo Diddley. Uh, they also have uh, Harry Belafonte performing Jamaican Farewell, Nat King Cole performing Lover Come Back to Me. Mm. Um, so, yeah, folks are interested in, you know, want to check out some live videos. It's a great opportunity for people to check out the Ed Sullivan show if they haven't been able to see it before. Um, so oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a variety show, mm -hmm. which meant you had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. There were jugglers, there were plate spinners. We talk about spinning plates, trying to keep a lot of things up in the air at the same time. Yeah, so, yeah. So they had this, this master plate spinner on there. I used to love that. And then, of course, there were opera singers. Sometimes they would have opera singers on there. They mm -hmm. would have uh, rock and roll entertainers, particularly in the 1960s. Uh, but when Bo Diddley, uh, Bo Diddley had a big hit in the 50s, and so... He was, he was right in there and it was great. And then Elvis came on at another point. By the way, we have to remember that rock and roll in a, quite a number of quarters around the country was considered very controversial. Yeah. You know, considered subversive. Mm -hmm. So if Ed Sullivan put you on, that was like a stamp of approval. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that opened a lot of doors for, for many people. You know, one of the interesting things that uh, Harry said to him was, in speaking, uh, not just about Paul Robeson in part, but just the whole civil rights struggle. He said, imagine you as a person of Irish descent and think about the history of the Irish in relationship to the British being dominated and oppressed by the British. Now, just think about that as a black person in this country by white oppression. And so Ed, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't argue with that. He, he got it. And like I say, you know, Harry was on that show uh, for the next uh, 10 years or so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's really amazing too the impact that, you know, you talk about Harry Belafonte learning from Paul Robeson and then now you have Harry Belafonte 
you know, mentoring Colin Kaepernick and mentoring Jesse yes. Williams and, you and know, common and common. Exactly. So many folks yeah. who are activists and artists and entertainers in their own right today are, you know, leaning on him, who was a direct line to Paul Robeson, who was a direct line to so many other folks who we, we also might not even know about, who were very influential yes. and important. Um, so definitely, you know, shout out to obviously those influential black figures, but then also again to Ed Sullivan for being able to give them even more opportunity to have more voice and more space yeah. uh, for folks in the country and around the world to recognize who they are. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, the other thing I would say is that when we talk about the Ed Sullivan show, you know, that would come on, I believe it was eight o'clock in the evenings on Sundays. So the family, you know, this is, I'm talking about the days when there was one television set. In right, the right. Right. <laughs> Not a bunch of devices all over. Everybody's in their silo. Yeah. You know? So everybody was together. We gather around the set to see whoever was, was coming on. Now talk about Jay Leno, you know, yeah. and, and others or Jimmy Kimmel and, and uh, Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. Johnny Carson and before him, Jack Parr and, um, and Steve Allen before Jack Carr, you know, the Tonight Show. I mean, yeah, but th those are late night TV shows. So, you know, there were late night TV programs, but they, but kids were in bed. And so it wasn't the same kind of uh, family get together, everybody of different ages getting together around the TV. And that's what made the Ed Sullivan Show special. So it had a run. Yeah. From 1948, as Toast of the Town switched over in 55, became the Ed Sullivan show, and then ran until 1971 when CBS was looking to refresh their lineup and canceled the show. Wow. Which, which infuriated Sullivan, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they had a special, I think it was two years later in 73, celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Ed Sullivan. Well, you know, the show's over, <laughs> but they had a 25th anniversary thing there. And then Sullivan died not too long after that. Wow. I think it was uh, esophageal cancer. He, he apparently had late stage and his family didn't, uh, didn't tell him. They consulted with the doctor and the doctor said it's late stage. And so they never told him. And uh, he thought that it was related to the ulcers that he had had for many, many years. And I'm wondering how he got those ulcers, just dealing with all the pressures that he was having to deal with in terms of who to put on, who not to put on, who to embrace, not to embrace, you know, that sort of thing. I don't know. I, I'm just speculating there. But at any rate, he's made his mark. And I think that, you know, there are certain pluses and minuses that you can put in, 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 in any of the columns uh, as far as Ed Sullivan in terms of politics and that sort of thing, given the times. But in terms of his respect for Black entertainers, in fact, when Bill Bojangles Robinson died, he had a funeral. The funeral expenses were paid by who? Ed Sullivan, okay? Wow. So yeah. the respect was there. The respect was there, no, no question about it. Wow. Well, that's amazing. I didn't know that much about Ed Sullivan. I didn't know that much about his impact, his legacy, so much of his importance you know, for black artists and entertainers of the time. And you know, concurrent with this, of course, is the desegregation of the US Armed Services, you know, in the late 40s. Mm -hmm. concurrent with this, we're still the, the burgeoning civil rights, which has been going on, the, the effort for emancipation and freedom and abolition and all of this has been going on for 400 years, right? right? And so it was going on then, 
in the 40s and servicemen coming back from the Second World War and they're saying like, wait a minute, we were in a segregated army, but we fought for, for freedom, quote unquote, and you're telling us that we can't receive the same services and everything given all the sacrifices that we've made in this country since the founding of this country? What, what is that about? And so this push, this effort, it, it caused a lot of uh, pushback as it always has and, and still to this day mm-hmm. continues to be pushback for full enfranchisement. You know, we've seen that happening in Georgia. You know, we see that happening in Texas. We see that happening all around and, and not just the South, you know? But, what, but the other thing I wanted to say very quickly though, is that you have to also remember that at the same time that Bo Diddley was getting on the Ed Sullivan show, there was also a guy named Billy Daniels. He was very, he was a black entertainer. Uh, he had, was very famous for the song called uh, Old Black Magic. And, and he had that sort of upbeat showbiz, you know, raring to go Las Vegas, rap yeah, pack yeah. kind of energy, you know, behind him. And, uh, and he was a really popular entertainer and he was opening doors and he even had the Billy Daniels show in the early 1950s wow. on television before Nat King Cole. Wow. There were other people, I believe that, uh, was it Maxine Sullivan? My memory's a little vague on this, but there were, there was at least another black entertainer who had their own show. But in those days, those shows would be for 15 minutes. And that, that's the way it was across the board. It didn't have to do with, with black or white or anything like that. But it was Nat King Cole, when he came on the scene, he had his full show, you know? Right, it was like a, was, a, hour was that a half hour? Yeah, half hour show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was in, uh, I believe it was 1956. It went until 57. So it lasted for about, I think, a little over a year or so. Wow. And he was having everybody on that show. I mean, people were, some people went on there, they weren't even going at scale. They would just be there just to support Nat white entertainers, black entertainers, you name it, just across the board. But in truth, the first black person to have their own show, full show, was a gentleman who was passing. He was not thought to be black. Wow. But he definitely was black. And in fact, at a certain point in his career, he pretended to be Latino. And so he went, by, he went by a, a Latino name and his wife was an illustrator, an artist or a colorist with the Disney Studios, Walt Disney Studios. And he was really an amazing performer. In fact, he, he had an encounter. He would be at these supper clubs and he had an encounter at one point with Duke Ellington. And, uh, and I think <laughs> Duke Ellington sort of, you know, looked at this person and and probably recognized him for who he really, really was. But uh, anyway, his stage name was Corla Pandit. Corla Pandit. And he pretended, and I believe it was, the, it, it was his um, wife who came up with this idea to pretend to be someone from India that came from a Brahmin family. That's wild. And, wow. And, and, and so he, he wore a turban. Now, now... Um, Hindus, he, he was pretending to be Hindu, but traditionally they would not be wearing turbans. Sikhs would wear a turban. Right. And he had a, 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 a jewel placed in the center 
of the turban. And so he would be at the organ. He'd be playing the organ. And he would look at the camera. And the camera would pull in closer, closer. <laughs> and it would zoom in on his eyes. And they were hypnotizing. And, you know, the reports were that women would just swoon. That's wild. All right. What was his name and again? So Corla Pandit. Corla Pandit. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he was really very popular, very popular show. But then there was some kind of controversy, and I can't remember the details of it, but he never, he never came out as anything else but Corla Pandit. And, uh, and that was the story that he, he had throughout his career, through the 70s, through the 80s. He was, that's who he was. He was in a film, Ed Wood, but he had a cameo in that, playing basically himself. But uh, prior to that, as I said, he had his television show, Well. After this controversy, I, I think it might have been some, something to do with his rights or material or what he was going to perform and not perform. I forget what it was, but they, they canceled the show. But what they did was they replaced his show with another person who was at the piano looking, gazing up, zooming in on his eyes. But he had a candelabra on top of his piano. Is that Liberace? Liberace <laughs> basically took the same formula that Corla Pandit had. Wow. But it morphed into Liberace and that set Liberace off into the stratosphere. Okay. That's so absolutely incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Wow. I had no, I had no clue about any of that history at all. Yeah. A lot of people, People have uh, either don't know or slept on 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 Corla Pandit, and it, it's it's shameful. Now he was also good friends with Paramahansa Yogananda, was a spiritual guru who uh, had a base in Cal. He was from India. I mean, literally from India. And Paramahansa Yogananda also attracted many followers. Corla Pandit, of course, was one uh, a friend of his, uh, but also the, a gentleman by who was called the Bronze Buckaroo. This was during the days when black entertainers were taking matters into they didn't see themselves in westerns. So they were part of films that had all black cast and they were cowboys. And yeah, of course the bronze, could, the bronze buckaroo or Herb, Herb Jeffries. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Herb Jeffries was a singer. He sang with Duke Ellington. He was a very popular singer, great singer. And he was also an incredible movie star mm -hmm. in black films. And so wow. he was a follower of Paramahansa Yogananda. You wow. know, this is, this is during the early days of, you know, who was also a vegetarian, you know? So this is out in California. You know, this is before the hippie movement and the beat movement in the 50s and so forth. There were people who were spiritually minded individuals, black and white who uh, were gravitating toward a healthier lifestyle to higher consciousness and so forth. So when we talk about earth, wind and fire and what they were bringing to the game, the roots of this or some strains of the roots of this go back uh, even further. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, we're gonna have to do a whole conversation on, on these folks <laughs> for sure. Awesome. Well, that's, that's really cool, Dad. Um, thanks. Thanks for having this conversation. I really enjoyed it. Hey, it's always great talking with you, Papo. It's always great talking with you too, Dad, and learning so much from you. It's 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 amazing.